God. So we're here in Luke 11 with a message called, Why Resolutions Fail. Why Resolutions Fail. Just a serious warning for you, according to an article in the USA Today, yeah, because I read the paper, uh, written early last year, and I've remembered it this whole time, January 17th, this Friday, is the day that your New Year's resolution, statistically speaking, is destined to fail. Good news right out of the gate, right? Uh, so this Friday, I don't really know why I didn't read the entire article because my job's to preach the word, not uh, study, you know, uh, neuroscience and all that to figure out why we can't keep our commitments uh, from that perspective. But here's why I was thinking about that, because we all know that this is the point in time, if you made some strong commitments to begin the new year, you get to the point where all of a sudden pizza just looks too good, right? And it doesn't matter. You may have done good for a week. You may have done well for a week and a half. I I got to the point where we had a life group that came and brought pizza for the students Wednesday. And not only did they bring enough pizza for the students, there was leftover pizza. So like, I think I had pizza for five or six meals in a row and I'm not even kidding, right? So it was off the wagon all the way, okay? Some of you, it may be that. Some of you maybe were gonna get up early and that started for a while, but then at some point, you know, you hit snooze like four times and then you just gave up on it, right? Uh, some of you have made commitments and maybe right now you're still going strong. I think I read that about 40% of New Year's resolutions actually make it to the six-month mark. So maybe some of you are in that 40%. But if you're like me, you have realized that those things are actually difficult to follow through with. And today I want to talk about not just New Year's resolutions or personal resolutions or commitments that we make throughout the year, but the truth is I think you would acknowledge that we are a people who just in general struggle to keep our commitments. It's interesting that as we dive back into Luke's gospel today, we come to a passage that I think addresses this in a really practical and helpful way. Why do our resolutions fail? And, and you need to know I'm not really talking about your like new year, new you type resolutions. What we're talking about are the spiritual commitments that actually form and shape us into the people that God wants us to be. Those commitments that really God is using to make you the man or woman that he wants you to be. Why is it that we struggle to keep those commitments? Some of you have made a commitment to getting God's word this month. Uh, that's been awesome to see. By the way, we posted a couple weeks ago just a graphic that said, hey, what is God teaching you through his word? And it was so awesome to get all the feedback. We're going to do that again this week. Uh, and I've heard some feedback from you that's like, man, God has just been teaching me. It's just been a real blessing. That is a great encouragement to me. Some of you have committed in this new year to kind of get back plugged into church. Maybe you've never come or maybe you used to come and you said, now's the season and time for us to really get plugged back in. By the way, last week we had one of the highest attended days that we've had in like the last year. Like I was looking at 2019 numbers, like only one day outside of Easter were more of us here than last Sunday. That's an awesome start to 2020, and I pray that we'll be able to keep that commitment that we have made. Some of you have made commitments to serve uh, in ways that you haven't before. Some of you have made commitments to, to give or tithe, to faithfully be a part of the work of God financially here. And all of those things are great, and I believe God can and does use those things in your life to help change you and make you who he wants wants you to be. But again, if we're honest, we struggle to keep those commitments. Why is that? And how can we overcome our inability to commit to the things of God? We're going to let the Lord teach us here in Luke 11, starting in verse 14. The word of God says this. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute 
When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Will you pray with me again? Let's ask the Lord to help us understand his truth. Jesus, we come to your word and asking you just to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, we come from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life this week, yet here we are gathered around your word together asking you to speak. We don't want to just feel smarter. Uh, we don't want to just feel justified. We don't want to uh, just walk out of here saying that we know more, but Lord, we would love to walk out of this place saying God spoke to us through his word. So Lord, do your work. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross and that we would see you together today. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we jumped right into the action here in Luke 11. If you're hanging out with us for the first time or you've just been here the last few weeks, it might be helpful for you to know that I didn't just say, hey, let's do that Jesus and Beelzebul passage, right? Uh, but we landed here because about a year ago, as we were, in fact, in the holidays of 2018, we studied the Gospel of Luke and the Christmas narrative there, and we were praying about where the Lord would lead us last year. And eventually, we just felt compelled by the Lord to go into Luke's gospel and walk through that together. So we take breaks here and there and do series within series and things like that. But for the most part, we keep coming back here to Luke's gospel. So as we come out of this season of the holidays and into a new year, we're diving back into Luke's gospel. But the reason I also share that with you is because it's always random, but I don't believe in random. I believe in God that we're here at this passage that I believe really speaks into this season of life that we're in as individuals and as a church family. In fact, I would say that as I'm looking ahead to the next several weeks here in Luke 11 and 12, that it's evident that God knows where we're at, not just for our church, but for those in our city. I believe this is a message and a series of messages that God is going to use to help us as we go into this new year together. So I'm excited to be able to do that. So here we are in verse 14, and here in Luke's gospel, Jesus just got done teaching about prayer, and then we're thrust right into the middle of the action where Jesus is casting a demon out of a man, and it says he was mute, and then when the demon left him, the man spoke, indicating that the demon had left. 
Now, we don't really get a background on this guy. We don't really see the story of how all this transpired to lead to this moment, which really kind of confirms that the point of this wasn't the healing and the casting out of the demon so much as it was this conversation and the dialogue that happens around this event. So as the man speaks and the demon is gone, some people are amazed, some people are blown away, but then there are others who are questioning what's just happened. And then there are some who say, well, I need another sign. Like, that was cool, but show me something else. I think it's worth stopping for a moment to remind ourselves that not everybody responds positively to the work of Jesus. Not everyone responds positively to the work of Jesus. We've seen this throughout Scripture and throughout the Gospels and even into the New Testament church. And I believe we even see this today in our world. Some people rejoice and respond to the work of Christ, but there are others who mock and reject or even cynically disregard Jesus and his truth. There are some who might would say, I need to hear more. I need to see more. I need some more signs if I'm going to believe. So as we think about our commitments and keeping our commitments, we've got to start here today with a simple yet profound question. And the question is this, have you committed to Christ? Have you truly committed to Jesus? Have you ever had a moment in your life where you surrendered everything to him? Where you said, Lord, I want you to be everything in my life. My life is not about me. I've died to myself and you have made me a new creation. One of the things that concerns me about Western Christianity today is how we've become very okay with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God living. We just kind of live our own life. We live just like the rest of the world and try to get enough Jesus in there to feel okay about ourselves. Try to come to church enough, do enough good things, check all the right boxes so we can say, yeah, I feel pretty good about myself. But the reality is Christ did not call us to become good church people. Christ has called us to become radically committed to his mission and his cause. And that's what we see here in Scripture. It's a call to a radical commitment to Jesus. But let's be honest, that's hard to do, isn't it? And in this passage, I think we run into a couple of roadblocks to commitment that we need to think about today. A couple of roadblocks to commitment. And the first one is this, we have a real enemy, and that real enemy has a name, and that name is Satan. We have a real enemy. Now, some of you are like me, I, I grew up in a tradition where we didn't really talk about the devil very much, we didn't really talk about Satan and the enemy, uh, but I, I've told you before that in a real dark part of my past, I sang in a southern gospel quartet as a child. Just kidding, it wasn't, well, I mean, I really did that, but it wasn't a dark part of my past, but... Because of that, like, we got to go around to a lot of different churches and sing. So I've been to a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations, a lot of different backgrounds. And it's interesting as you go through that because I've heard a lot of different theologies of Satan and the devil. And I've been in some churches where it just seems like that's really all they talk about is Satan and the devil, right? Uh, and I know some of you probably are going to come to me, oh, you got to listen to this preacher or that preacher. Just a warning, like if more of their sermons are about the devil than they are Jesus, you might need to rethink listening to that guy. I've been in churches where the music, it almost seems like half the songs are like, get out of here, Satan. And I'm like, what, what are we doing right now? We're singing, I, I don't even know, what. I just wrote that right now. I haven't heard that song. Some of you are like, I listened to that on the way in today. <laughs> like, what? 
But it's like we're, we're just really obsessed with that. So I think it's kind of the idea of a pendulum, right? We talk about that a lot, the extremes of where we really just obsess with this. And then sometimes, I think because it freaks us out a little bit, the other tendency that's not really healthy is to just ignore it. What's a healthy thing to do? Well, I believe we look to the Scripture, right? The Scripture does address it unashamedly, talks about it. This passage right here, there's clearly allusions to this, and we need to stop and think about this a little bit today. But we move on to other things as well. So we want Scripture to be our guide as we're teaching through the Scripture. This issue comes up, and when it comes up, we want to address it and think about it together. But Scripture is clear. We have a real enemy, and that enemy is Satan. As people are questioning Jesus, this really interesting dialogue begins. In verse 15, some say he cast out demons by Beelzebul. There are different meanings of this name, Beelzebul. In fact, some of your translations say Beelzebub, and there's kind of question of whether the text actually said Beelzebul or Beelzebub. They're basically the same thing. This is a, a, just basically a version of the name Baal. Do you remember that in the Old Testament, the false god Baal? Uh, so this is this name, Beelzebul means the Lord of the house. And that's what they would refer to Baal as. Of course, we know that he's not really the Lord of the house because the Lord of everything is Jesus Christ, right? Uh, but the Israelites would often refer to Beelzebul as Beelzebub, which was a play on words that meant the Lord of the flies. So basically, they were calling out that this isn't really the Lord of the house, but it's the Lord of the flies. And the reason we see this name in this text, you can do some research and probably find some really interesting stuff about this, but that's not the point of today's message. When they would use this name in this term, they were referring to Satan. So what they're saying is that, Jesus, you're casting out demons in the name of Satan. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus was really obviously the son of God and the most brilliant man ever to exist because he wasn't just a man. He was fully God and fully man, right? So Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. He could have been like, uh, well, uh, let me set you straight here. I'm actually the son of God. Let's go back to Genesis and work our way through and explain why that's true. And you think, well, how would he have done that? Go to Luke 24, skip ahead, spoiler alert. Uh, he died and then rose again. And then he told them, do you remember that passage? So Jesus was the most theologically brilliant. He knew the Old Testament better than anybody because he wrote it, right? So he could have done that, but he doesn't use a theological reasoning here. What's he do? Common sense. Just plain old logic. He goes, uh, that's not a real good strategy for Satan to build his kingdom by taking out the workers of Satan, just saying, I don't think that's a great strategy, guys. And then he points to the Jewish religious leaders who were also casting out demons. And he points to them and he says, okay, well, if I'm casting out demons through Satan, then who are you casting demons out by? We know this was happening because you see in Acts chapter 19, the sons of Sceva. If, you're, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's like the funniest story in the Bible. It's up there. Where these guys are like trying to cast out demons and these demon possessed guys whoop them so bad that they end up running out of the house naked. Like that's in the Bible y'all. I've been whooped, I've been beat up, but I've never been beaten so bad that I ran out without clothes on, alright? So, bad situation. So we know that this happened and Jesus says, okay, so if Jewish religious leaders are also casting out demons, who are they casting out demons by? It's a fair question, right? But then he asks this piercing, not really a piercing question, but makes a piercing statement that demands a response. He said, but if this is from God, then the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. 
Jesus is proclaiming here that the kingdom of God is at hand, and every single person needs to respond to this reality. He goes into these two parables in the text. In verse 21, he says, when a strong man owns the house, he owns the palace, he owns everything there, he feels pretty good about himself. But guess what? A stronger man than him comes in, takes over the house, and distributes all the stuff to other people. In that parable, it's clear that the strong man is Satan. We have a real enemy, friends, and he is strong. But guess what? The stronger man in this parable is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it may seem that Satan, Beelzebul, is the Lord of the house today and that he's got a grip on this world. And we always say things are going from bad to worse. You know, things are going to Hades in a handbasket and we need a bigger handbasket, right? It seems like that in our culture and it seems like everything's falling apart. But I've got good news for you today. The stronger man has come. And we only see signs of it today. And even this is a work of redemption, us as the people of God in this church. But there is coming a day where all of the goods are going to be his and they're all going to be distributed. And the stronger man has come. And the good news is the stronger man will come again and Satan will be defeated forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's going to be a good day. So this is what we see happening in this text. Satan may be lord of the house, but Jesus says a stronger man is here now. So the call is to respond to him, to commit to following him. But as we do this, church, we must be mindful that we have a real and present enemy. The warning comes in the second parable we see in verses 24 through 26. See a picture of the relentless nature of Satan. When an unclean spirit is gone, it goes and it looks around for somewhere else and says, man, my old house was nice, grabs a posse and comes back and reestablishes a home. Friends, it's important for us to know that the enemy, Satan, attacks those who are at work for the kingdom of God. Satan attacks those who have made commitments to Jesus. And it's in times of renewed spiritual commitment that we need to be ever aware of the enemy's work in us. We say this every time we baptize, don't we? Do you remember Jesus was baptized? What happened next? Where did he go? Into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. It's in times of great spiritual commitment and renewal that the enemy begins to work in our lives. Some of you have made some of those commitments like we were talking about earlier. And don't you feel the cleansing that comes with that? And I'll just tell you, some of you, like it's been a week and you don't feel that yet. Can I just encourage you to keep going, right? You know that God is working on you and he's doing something in your life. It's in these seasons where we're making these commitments that God is doing a work. But if we somehow start to get lazy in those commitments, and if we start forgetting what's happening here, the reality is that the enemy will come and be at work in our lives. Friends, this isn't a call to be fearful, but this is a call for us to be aware. Because the strong man exists, but the stronger man is here. Satan is powerful. Satan is deceitful. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. But the good news is, church, the lion of Judah is fiercer than the enemy. And if you're a Christ follower, if you have committed to following Jesus first, John 4-4 says, greater is the one who is inside of me than he who is living in the world. So how do we acknowledge our enemy? 
How do we stay on guard? By clinging to our Savior. But this is where our second enemy comes in that we need to talk about. By the way, we love this one, okay? The devil made me do it, right? We like this one. It's like, yeah, man, we got an enemy. That's why I'm struggling. You don't like this one as much, but we need to talk about it. You have another real enemy, and that's us. It's you. We do have a real enemy in Satan, but the truth is we have a great Savior. And if we stay connected to our Savior, if we pursue Him and we're following Him with everything that we have, then we're not going to be falling for the enemy's traps in our lives. But friends, isn't this the struggle? Staying actively, purposefully, fully committed to Jesus, isn't that the struggle that we have? How many of you have been on fire for the Lord, passionate about the things of God, but you've seen that fade in your life? There's a reason that a couple weeks ago, I had to spend like 10 minutes in a message talking about the importance of reading the Bible saying, I know you guys are going to say I've tried that already. Some of you have lived way longer than I have, and you're like, man, Rusty, I've heard this message a billion times, I've tried a million times, but I'm only in Genesis 4, and I still, I'm still the same old jerk I was before I started reading the Bible. When's this stuff going to start working? So we give up. But the call is to continue and continue to commit to the Lord. Because if we don't, that passion fades that commitment fades, and it happens so quick in our lives. We know that the enemy attacks and that we can fall into great sin and lives can be blown up. I've seen friends take steps that crush their lives and crush their ministries. And when that happens, we say, what in the world? How in the world did this happen? I can't believe it. But what we're learning is what we've said before here at Crossroad, that that really didn't just happen. Our lives are never really blown up in a day. Rather, it starts with us getting lazy in our commitments to Christ. This is huge, and I want you to hear this today. The enemy can and does attack with big temptations. We have seen those, and we have even fallen into those, right? Lust, sex, money, power, cheating to get ahead at work. Big things, little things that seem little at the time, but become big steps of disobedience that can really blow up in our lives. We've seen those things happen. But I'm convinced today that the enemy's biggest temptation and greatest tool of Satan in our world today is not these big things, but rather it's apathy. It's apathy. The enemy doesn't have to make us bad. He just wants to make us apathetic. You see this in your life? We get so into just trying to be good, trying to check off all the right moral boxes and walking around. And I'm convinced, especially in the Bible Belt, that there's many people today who are walking around thinking, I'm good. I was raised up in church to try to be a good person. You got to get that sniff in there. If I was wearing a belt, I'd hike up my pants too. Just try to be good, just like my daddy taught me. But it's not about being good or being bad. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to bring dead people to life. The question is, are you alive today? Have you even thought about that lately? I'm afraid there are a lot of really good people out there who are not really God's people. Do you really know him today? When, and here's the question. When was the last time you thought about that? 
Jesus wants to shake us out of this apathy here in Luke 11. In verse 23, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is harsh, isn't it? What Jesus is saying here is that there is no neutral when it comes to following Jesus. Specifically, this is talking about the work of Christ, scattering seeds. So either we're doing the work of Jesus or, listen to this, we're doing the work of Satan. So you may think you're neutral today and you just don't really think about it and aren't worried about it, but the reality is you think you're neutral, but if you're not committed to Jesus, if you're apathetic, if you have grown cold to the things of God, then you are very well, the Bible says, you're scattering the seed for Satan. There is no neutral. This parable of the unclean spirits is something to consider today for us. Again, I'm so excited about this season of renewal and commitment that we sense in our church right now. It's a, a really, really cool thing that God is doing. You've experienced that cleansing that comes with that, the renewal. It's exciting. It's awesome. But in verses 24 through 26, we see this warning that if we're not vigilant, if we don't stay intentional about seeking God and staying committed to Jesus, then we're setting ourselves to be wide open for the enemy's work in us. And the text says we'll be in worse shape than we were before. If God is doing a work in you today, I want you to hear me. Do not grow casual about that work he is doing. Do not grow casual in this work. We have to be ever aware of the work of our enemy. Because when we get casual about our faith, when we get casual about the things of God and apathetic about the things of God, then we are leaving ourselves open to the work of the enemy. Why do resolutions fail? Why is it difficult for us to stay committed to Jesus on a daily basis? Because of our real enemies, not enemy. We have Satan and then we have me, us. Before we go, can I share some good news? What if that was the end of the message? Y'all have a good week, right? <laughs> that wouldn't be good. We've got some good news to consider today. And that's the fact that it is possible for us to keep our commitments. We can keep and sustain our relationship and our commitment to Jesus. How do we do that? By letting the stronger man run our house. By letting Jesus be the one who runs our lives. By getting the enemy out of the throne of our hearts and instead getting the Lord onto his rightful place, ruling and reigning in our lives. And when that's the case, friends... The enemy cannot come into the house when the Lion of Judah is there. You know what I'm saying? We have to let the stronger man run our house. And when we do that, we can fight the good fight of faith. We can make war against our sin and against the devil. Why? Because in every battle we face, we know that we can fight boldly because the war has been won on the cross of Jesus Christ. Friends, do not miss this today. Listen right now. Some of you are already packing up. You're like doing the professor bit. You're packing up because I'm almost done. He didn't say in conclusion, but I feel it. <laughs> Listen to me right now. If we are going to keep our commitments to Christ, it starts, begins, and ends at the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and guaranteed us the victory by his amazing grace.
All the willpower in the world, all of the counseling books and sermons aren't going to help you keep these commitments. Only Jesus and his grace. By the way, thank God for that. That's why we believe that once you are genuinely saved, you are always saved. Why is that? Because you never had anything to do with your salvation to begin with. If Jesus has saved you, his salvation is going to continue. The Bible says that it is kept in the heavenly places for you. If you know Christ today, then your salvation is secure in him. But because that victory is secure, this is when we can come back and say, you know what, I'm going to make war on this sin in my life. This struggle that I have, I'm going to fight against that struggle. Why? Because Jesus has given me the victory. And because I know he's given me the victory, I can fight against the enemy today. And I'm in a battle right now, but I know that the war is over. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, that was it. It was it. So when we know the victory is ours, then we can fight battles to make these commitments to Christ. Yes, we're still weak. Yes, we still struggle, but Jesus is strong. This is the great thing about our God. This is amazing grace. That whether it's been a day, you've had a bad day, you can turn back to Jesus. If you've had a bad week, you can turn back to Jesus. If you've had a bad month, you can turn back to Jesus. If you've had a bad year, you can turn back to Jesus. If you've had a bad decade or multiple decades, you can turn back to Jesus. Because at the very moment that we turn back to him, he meets us there. Because guess what, church? He never went anywhere. We talk about walking away from the Lord and wandering away. That old invitation hymn says, I've wandered far away from God. Hey, can I tell you something? There's no way to get far away from God. So when that song says, come home, guess what? The moment you turn to him, he meets you there. We can keep our commitments to Christ because Christ will never not keep his commitment to us. Why do commitments stick? Because of Jesus. (laughs) Because of Jesus. I want to get real practical here before we leave this morning. Let me check the time. We got like three hours left. We're good. I did that at the first service too. We had some guests. I could tell it made them a little nervous. <laughs> they were like, oh, if you're visiting, that was a joke. But I do want to get real practical here because we talk about this. So, so how is it that Jesus helps these commitments stick? I want to just get real basic with you by talking about what we've been chatting about the last month or two. The way that Jesus helps us keep our commitments to him is by helping us establish spiritual disciplines in our lives what we have been calling these spiritual rhythms. What are some of those spiritual rhythms that are important for us? Well, we've talked about committing to gathering together with the body of Christ, the local church. We believe that what God does here is unique and only happens here when his people are assembled together. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that we do not want to forsake the gathering of the body. Because God does things when we gather together here. We want to commit to that spiritual rhythm of coming to worship together. 
Beyond that, we also want to take that next step of really getting involved in each other's lives and the, ways, the way we do that at a church this size with six or 700 regular attenders, we do that by joining a life group where you can really get to know people and walk through life together with them. So congregational worship, being a part of the body, is one of those spiritual rhythms you need to develop. Another one that we talked about last week was communion, coming and remembering the body of Christ broken for us, the blood that was shed for our sins. We do that every single time, the first Sunday of the month when we gather together. That's a spiritual rhythm you need to have in your life. We talked two weeks ago about the spiritual rhythm of getting into the Word of God until the Word of God gets in you. And then we spent a month and a half talking about the spiritual rhythm of prayer. Now, I'll tell you, these things that, listen, I don't want you to, if you wrote all those things down, like, all right, if I'm going to keep my commitments, these are things I got to do. That's not how this works. These are not things that we want to do so God will be happy with us. But rather, these are gifts that God has given us to help us develop these commitments to him so that we can become more like him. But this is difficult because let's just be honest today. We don't see results immediately. There's a reason it's hard to lose weight. Some of you have been on that journey. Some of you have tried. Some of you tried this last week and then ate pizza six meals in a row this week. No, I'm sorry, I'm still giving testimony. It's a struggle. Why is it a struggle? Y'all listen, like Monday and Tuesday, I killed it. I ate super healthy and I was still overweight. How annoying is that, right? But isn't that how it is? Some of you have been there. Like, like we make commitments, we make change, but it takes a long time to start seeing and feeling results. And some of you right now, like we said earlier, you started reading the word, you started trying to have prayer time, you started family devotionals, you've come to church two or three weeks in a row for the first time in a long time, and you're still like, man, I'm still yelled at the kids when we got home. And I still was ugly to my spouse, and I still struggle with this, and I'm still not fixed yet, so why am I doing all this stuff? But can I tell you something? This is a commitment that when we make on a day in and day out basis, we may not see the results immediately, but day after day after day after week after month as these rhythms are happening in our lives, we become more like Christ. Think with me about some dear saints who have gone on to be with the Lord. I don't know who that would be in your life. For me, it's people like my grandfather, people in my home church who love the Lord, people who I've had the privilege of being their pastor. And when they go home to be with the Lord, I find myself just thinking as I'm thinking about their life, like, I want to grow up to be like them. You have anybody like that in your life? And you think, man, how did they do what they did? And can I just tell you, I have done funerals from, for some very unremarkable people. I don't say that to be a joke. I say that to be people that the world does not really think much of that they didn't have a big article in the paper, the New York Times didn't write an obituary about them. But what made them the mighty men and women of God that they were? It was a daily commitment to these spiritual rhythms that day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, Jesus was making them more like him. Friends, can I encourage us, saints in this room, 
Bible says if you're called by God, you are a saint. Saints in this room, can I call you today? By God's grace, let's use the blessings of these spiritual rhythms so that we can become light in the darkness and we can fulfill this mission to reach, teach, live, and love like Jesus.